Well, if you guys got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Second Chronicles chapter 23. We're going to take a look at another king. It's kind of a, it's been kind of a neat study, at least for me, going through First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles. We look at all the the different kings that Israel had, and and there's so many important things for us to glean from it to say well what's what's going on with this king what happened why did things go south for him and we have a you remember last time we had a a queen there was no king remember grandma killed all her grandkids so she could rule her name was athalia but there was a woman named jehoshabeth the daughter of the king who took joash the king's son who was an infant and hit him in the one place they knew Athalia would never go. Everybody remember where that was? It was in, the, yeah, the temple, the church. Took him into God's house. They were pretty sure that Athalia would never look there. And they hit him there for six years. For six years they hit him. And for those six years, Athalia, who's the daughter of Ahab, who was a really wicked king in the north, uh, who had married one of the sons of Jehoshaphat, we, we definitely see how much she cared about everybody, right? She killed her grandkids, all of them, uh, except for this baby. And then she apparently didn't even know how many grandkids she had because she didn't know that one of the bodies wasn't there. So this, uh, the, the infant gets away, and we pick it up in chapter 23, verse 1. In the seventh year, uh, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. So they got him seven years. seven years old now. The baby's seven years old. So he strengthened himself. Jehoiada is the high priest, okay? He's the husband of the woman who hid the baby. So you have the high priest, his wife, who happened to be one of the daughters of the king who had died, that the queen had then decided to kill all the grandkids. So she took one of, the, one of those grandkids and she hid him. And her and her husband. And her husband, Jehoiada, is going to become a real spiritual leader for Joash. He's going to become the guy who kind of trains him up, raises him up from the time he was a baby till the time he takes over. He's actually going to become king at seven. How many of you guys were ready to rule a nation at seven years old? Not too many of us? Probably not, right? So Jehoiada, the high priest, is going to help him. He's going to establish him. We're going to see Joash do a lot of good things. Uh, because he had this godly influence. But let's take a look. Let the story tell us. So he, he makes a covenant, a promise, with the captains of hundreds. I want you to look at all these names. Azariah, the son of Jerocham, Ishmael, the son of Jehonan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Maasai, the, the son of Adai, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. Now, every one of those names, uh, every one of those guys is a godly name. They're named after the Lord, like the Lord is my strength, God hears, different things like that. So, so every one of these guys, at least from looking at their names and what their names are about, were, were probably people that were wanting to see the nation turn from Baal, which was a, a false religious system. Baal was a Canaanite storm god. Okay, so for all the nations around Israel, they worship Baal, Canaanite storm god, because they live in a in a in a uh, a dry land just like us okay if there wasn't somebody long before us who went through and developed a, a canal system we would be trusting in rain and how much would be growing not too much right and the nation of israel is the same way only they don't have canals so in the nation of israel very dry very dry climate god told them this is how you guys are going to know we're all on track god said I'll give you the rain, and if the rain doesn't come, it means there's a problem with between us. And if there's a problem between us, just come to my house, the temple that was there. Come to the temple, pray, repent, we'll get right, and I'll take care of you. So that was how God, in, in His initial revelation, we have in the Old Testament what's called a progressive revelation. is God progressively reveals who He is, what He wants, how He wants the people to follow Him all the way through to the time we see the coming of Christ, which was promised of way back in Genesis in the beginning, but we don't see fulfilled till, till many years later. So God in His progressive revelation is dealing with But there was another God in that area who was the God of the rain. His name was Baal. Baal was an idol that looked just like a man. He oftentimes had a, a, a spear in one hand 
and a sword in the other, and he was called the God of the storms. What would happen is the nation of Israel would be in a bad place. They were worshiping idols. The rain wasn't coming. So they start thinking, well, you know, we, we could go to the temple and talk to God. Maybe we should try this other God out. The God Baal. And so they would go into idolatry and they would serve the God Baal and they would do these things, try to, try to connect with him. And so as they did that and as they pursued him, it would only get more dry and there would be more issues and more problems. And so until God would raise up a man who wanted to bring the people back into a relationship with him. The parallels are, are perfect for us because the reality is many times our lives go the same way. We're trusting in the Lord. We're walking with God. We're staying close to Him. We're in prayer. We're spending time in worship. We want to see God move and God do the things that God does. But occasionally there are times where we start to forget. We start to drift. And events enter into our life. They cause us to go, wait a minute, how did I get here? What's going on? And we start to call on the name of the Lord again. Look, if we think we've developed so much more beyond them, I think you need to take a pretty serious look at your life. And are we really that different? Now, maybe we don't run to Baal. You're right. We run to something else. But it doesn't make it less of an idol. It doesn't make it... If it takes our eyes off of God, that's what an idol was. Something that took our eyes off of God. So Jehoiada gathers a bunch of the leaders of Israel who want to see Israel not following Baal, but they want to see Israel come back to the Lord, come back to a relationship with Him. So he gathers these men. That's what verse 1 is all about. He gets them together. Verse 2 says, And when they, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites. The Levites was the tribe to whom had been charged the teaching of the oracles of God. That's a fancy way of saying these are the guys who walk around teaching people about the word. The Levites. So they gather up the Levites. In verse 2, From all the cities of Judah and then the chief fathers of Israel. Those are the heads of families, right? The guys who are, are in leadership all around Judah. So they gather them all together. And it says, Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. So they gather up all these people and say, Hey, we're going to go meet at the temple. Let's go. So all these guys go to the temple. They walk into the temple. And in the temple, they're introduced to a seven-year-old kid. And Jehoiada says, Look, if we want to get back on track with God... We need to swear allegiance that we'll follow the true king, not the queen that's taken over by killing all our grandkids. Will you follow the true king? Now, I want you to think a little bit about what kind of a test of faith that is. You're looking at a nation. Right now, There's a. it's being led by, admittedly, a wicked woman, but at least she's an adult. And she's making policy. I mean, isn't that the wiser way to go? How many times does God tell us in His Word that He'll take the wisdom of man and make it look foolish? He'll say, I know that all men would say, yes, a woman would be a better better leader. But Jesus said when He came, unless you come to Me as one of these little ones, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. Unless we learn to come to God with that childlike faith, then we won't enter in. That's how you get in to heaven. With the attitude like the seven-year-old. So here's the seven-year-old. All the leaders brought before him. And the amazing thing to me is all the leaders are like, yeah, we'll follow him. We'll follow the, the seven-year-old. I think for, a, for a, a lot of them, they realized that Jehoiada, the high priest, was going to be there beside him. And they felt like he'd have good godly counsel. So they give their backing. It says, Behold, the king's son will reign as the Lord has said to the sons of David. And this is what you will do. One third of you uh, entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites will be keeping watch over the doors. And one third will be at the king's house. And one third will be at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. So they're going to call all the people together for a secret coronation. And they're setting these groups up as guards to protect the seven-year-old. So they set up all these guards. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests. And those are the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy. But all the people will keep watch. Keep the watch of the Lord. 
And the Levites will surround the king on all sides. Every man with his weapon in his hand, and whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So seven-year-old can't defend himself, right? And you're dealing with a queen and a government who had already wiped out all the children that were that were older than the baby seven years earlier. So they're not going to let her anywhere near him. So they surround him with the Levites, the priests, and every one of them is using uh, the swords and the shields that David brought into the temple. So long ago, okay, we're talking years and years and years and years earlier, David, when he was king, he, he stored all these weapons. And I'm sure sometime during the time, people said, what in the world are we bringing all these weapons in here for? You don't need shields and swords in, in the temple. Well, God brought him in there because he knew about Joash. And he knew it was going to be a little hard for them all to trot down to to Main Street and everybody buy a sword. So he put them all in the Lord's house. When the day would come, when the time would arise, where they could, where they would need them, they would be there. Several kings earlier. You got David, Solomon, Rehoboam. One, two, three, six, seven, seven kings back. When God put those things in there for him. But now they're available. Now the, the Levites have them. And Athalia doesn't even know any of this is going on. So it says in verse 8, So all uh, the Levites and all Judah did according to what Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each man took his men who, were, who would be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. So they all just stayed. For Jehoiada the priest had not dismissed the divisions. Remember, there are 24 divisions of priests that worked at a variety of different times. But everyone who was supposed to go off duty stayed. So eventually you end up with all of them there. And it doesn't look like when Athalia looks outside her window, she doesn't see all these people headed to the temple. It just, everything looks normal. Nothing looks like nothing is going on. And it says, And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears, and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. Then he said, all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along uh, by the altar and by the temple, all around the king. And they put out the king's, uh, they brought out the king's son, and they put a crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons, um, anointed him and said, Long live the king. So nobody thought there was anybody left in the line of David. They thought Athaliah had killed them all. So now they raise up this child, seven years old. They crown him king. They anoint him. All the people are there. Uh, so in essence, this seven-year-old has just taken authority from uh, Athalia, this wicked queen that was ruling over the people. Now there's something interesting that we want to see in what they gave him. They put the crown on him and it says, and they gave him the testimony. You guys see that? Some Bibles may say the statutes. Um, basically what they gave him was a copy of the Bible. They handed him the Old Testament, the law, what had been written up to that point. And what was the charge according to Deuteronomy Chapter 17, around verse 18, the charge was that every king would be given a copy of the Bible, and his job before his reign was to write out a copy. So he had to copy every verse, every word, every piece, so that he would be familiar with the things God wanted the king to be about. So he would understand what is, what is, how am I supposed to rule? Everybody gets a seven year old don't know what he's doing, right? As king, making peace with other nations and, and other countries. So his reign would begin with a study of God's word, laying out God's word. He would see where God said to the king, don't multiply horses and start putting your trust in horses. Don't multiply wives where you'll start to, to have your heart pulled away because of all the influence of multiple wives in your life. And he would say, don't multiply gold. So you start putting all your hope and trust in gold. Just put your trust in me and I will carry you through it. And so that's what they give this little seven-year-old. That's what they hook him up with as he, as he begins his reign. So it says, now when Athalia, that's the king, or a queen, I'm sorry. Now when Athalia heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came 
to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by this, uh, his pillar at the entrance. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. And the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And, and uh, the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athalia tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. you got to be kidding me, right? Any grandma who wiped out all her grandkids have no right to call treason for anything. So she shouts treason, and Jehoiada, the priest, brought out the captains of the hundreds who were set over the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard, and slay her with the sword, or slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they grabbed her, and she went by the way of the entrance of the horse gate in the king's house, and they killed her there. So they kill Athalia. Remember what we talked about last time? You guys remember, we talked about a verse in Galatians that says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, how's it go? That shall he also reap. Athalia had killed all her grandkids. What did she reap? Somebody killed her outside the gate. Right? Jesus said, if you want to live by the sword, what? Why? Because what you sow, you reap. You with me? So this is not God judging some strange judgment. This is simply harvest. If you plant seeds, then you're going to reap a harvest. She sowed seeds. She, she cheated, lied, and murdered to come into power. And so the, the payday someday, right? Harvest day came around. And the same thing occurs to Athalia. But now you got a seven-year-old in charge. And here's the cool thing about this seven-year-old. He's got a a surrogate dad in Jehoiada. And Jehoiada is a good man who loves the Lord. And so he just takes the time to raise this, this, this child up. But one of the dangers we see is Jehoiada makes a lot of decisions for him. For Joash. Let's take a look. It says so in verse 16. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people and the king that they would be the Lord's people. I want you to notice something in verse 16. It said Jehoiada made a promise, not the people. You get what I'm saying? Can we legislate morality? If I pass enough laws, can I change the heart of man? Look, man is, is wicked at the core and he's going to do what he does until he chooses to be different. I can stand up and say, from now on, it's going to be illegal for you to be able to buy any booze on a Sunday. Will that stop alcoholism? Will that stop people from drinking on Sunday? No. So they go buy it all on Saturday. It'll still be there when they need it. Jehoiada is legislating, trying to legislate a revival in the land. And it will work to a point. You guys get what I'm saying? He, he, he's a good guy and he's trying to, but he's, he's got a, I think he's got an issue with control. He's trying to control things that you can't control. Revival doesn't happen because a man stands up and says, thou shalt be revived. Revival happens because the Spirit of God begins to move in a lot of different people. Hearts change. Eyes turn toward God. God begins to do a work in the heart. That's where people change. Not because of the rules. He makes a promise and all the people standing around say, sure, that sounds good. And that'll last as long as uh, things are good, right? As soon as the economy turns, the popularity of the leader goes in the tank and they want somebody else. Don't they? Isn't that how our world is? I mean, let's face it, come on. If, if, if President Obama, if Obamacare was working great and the economy was good, nobody be griping. Nobody be griping. And it doesn't matter who you put in there. Whatever they try to do, the way our government is set up, it's not ever going to function. You know that every democracy reaches a point where it crumbles into dictatorship, right? History tells us that. You don't believe that. You need to look in a history book. Democracy always ends with a dictator. That dictator leads to rebellion. Rebellion brings democracy and it starts all over again. That's how it's always gone. That's how it went in Rome. Rome was a democracy, wasn't it? You remember it was governed by, by councils until one day there was a Caesar. 
Same deal. Same kind of a thing. So, so when we look at it, Jehoiada, he's trying to, to bring reform. And they're going to do a good thing. Look at verse 17. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down and broke in pieces its altars and images. And they killed Matan, the priests of Baal, before the altar. So they go wipe out this worship that was now in the center of Jerusalem. If you can imagine such a thing. Jerusalem, who has this beautiful temple to, to Jehovah, just sitting there. But now they were building temples of Baal and Asherah poles and, and high places where people would go worship other gods. So, so those things are going on. Well, they all get kind of filled with a nationalistic fervor. You guys know what I mean by that? They're all excited. Hey, Israel belongs to us again and we're in charge and, and we got a king, David. You know, there's Dave, one of David's kids on the throne. So let's go and they tear down the stuff that they, that they should not have built, but it's not spiritual change in the heart of men. It's all outside. You remember when they knocked down the two towers? I don't know for you guys, but church was full after that. And there was a lot of people running around saying, God bless America. And there was a nationalistic fervor. People excited about the nation and, and, and looking for answers. But there was no spiritual change in hearts as a result, or very little spiritual change as a result. And after time passes, all those people who came through looking for answers went back. So the same thing's going on here with Jehoiada. It says in verse 18, Also Jehoiada appointed over uh, the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hands of the priests and the Levites, who David had assigned to the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, and uh, are with rejoicing and with singing as it was established by David. So, so things go back to how they're supposed to be. Okay, that's what you want to see. They were worshiping Baal. Nobody was worshiping God. They're all worshiping Baal. And, and then Jehoiada comes with this, this child of David. And they, they change things up. They tear down that other. And they start getting back on track with God. They start again worshiping. They start again being a part of the things that were going on in the temple. It says, He said the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. The important thing about verse 19 is it means there were other people who were not okay with what was going on. There are people who are not okay. That means there are still guys who would like to have seen Athalia reign. There are still guys who aren't happy about the new king who's seven years old. There are still guys who aren't stoked about the, the worship reforms taking place at the temple. So they got to put guards outside so that nobody who wants to come try to blow it up. You know they still do that today? Well, today there's not a temple. There's a Dome of the Rock. But you know they have to have a guard there so people don't go up and blow up the Dome of the Rock? And pretty frequently, guys try. So nothing's changed. Nothing's ch- the same kind of things are going on, only today it's a Dome of the Rock and it's uh, the uh, Islamic third most holy site. But then it was the temple. It was God's house. And so they're, they're looking for people. People are trying to come up and do things. They don't want to let them in. Verse 20 says, Then he took the captains of the hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. So all the people of the land rejoiced. The city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. So... Change has been done. There's a coup. There's a new king, seven years old. And Jehoiada is going to be kind of his right-hand guy to try to raise him up to be a good king. So we come to chapter 24. It it begins to tell us the rest of the story. Jehoiada is a pretty old guy. He's an old guy at this time when they're seven years old. When he dies, he's 130 years old. And this king is only seven. So he had to be pretty old, right? Maybe a hundred years old when this whole thing starts. So he brings up Jehoiada. It says, Joash, the king, was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. And listen to verse 2. And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. 
you can't say. So he walked with the Lord and he did what he was supposed to do as long as Jehoiada was alive. In in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, guys, if you want to turn your Bibles to the right, in the New Testament, you'll come to 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, who has been established, but they're struggling with some issues um, in in the church. And so he's writing them to help them to correct some of the things that are going on. In chapter 2 it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One of the key things when we, when we talk about church is that church should be focused on the one thing that matters. The main thing is Jesus Christ. How people do worship. How people dress. How people greet one another. How people do worship. Those things are outside. The thing that brings us unity is Christ. So Paul says, when I came to you, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't want you to know how good I am. I don't want you to know how smart I am. I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to understand who Jesus is and what he did for you, right? That's what he's telling us. I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's desire for the church at Corinth was that they would trust in the Lord and have their own relationship with God, not a relationship with God that passes through another person. You get the problem with Joash? Joash's whole relationship with God went through Jehoiada. His whole relationship with God was about the priest. And as long as the priest was there telling him what to do and, and, and telling him what decisions to make and choices to make, he was able to, to just go with him because he trusted Jehoiada. But he never learned how to make his own decision. He never learned how to establish his own relationship with God. Everything he had was a relationship through Jehoiada, his surrogate father. And that's a challenge for all of us as parents raising kids. Because you have to allow your kids to have their own relationship with God. And you have to teach them. I'm not suggesting that you make seven-year-olds make their own decisions. I don't even think you should probably make 13-year-olds or allow 13-year-olds to make their own decisions. But somewhere along their journey, you got to teach them to make decisions. And you got to teach them to learn to stand by the decisions they make. See, Joash never learned to do that. And it's going to have some pretty crazy repercussions as a result. He's, as long as Jehoiada was with him, he's doing good. Look at, look at verse 3. And Jehoiada took two wives for him. Did you catch that? Who picked his wives? Jehoiada. So Jehoiada's guiding, and he's, he's trying to, to help him be a godly man, right? But for some reason, he picked two wives. How many wives did God say to have? What's it say in Genesis? For God has made us male and female, He created them. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his what? Singular, right? And when we look throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy says, don't multiply wives. One. Now, do many of them have multiple wives? Yes. The Bible's not going to lie about what people did. If they took multiple wives, God's going to say they took multiple wives. It was common in that day. It was according to the wisdom of man. If a king wants to establish his line and have many Children, many sons that could be a part of the, the line of the monarchy, then in human wisdom, he'd need more than one wife to do that. 
So he had two. And that wife was picked for him, those wives, by Jehoiada. You see, I'm not sure what part he was in the process or how old he was. He could have been 12 when Jehoiada picked them. It wasn't uncommon in the monarchy in, in those days when they came in young. Solomon was around 12 years old. Josiah was 7 or 8. That's not uncommon. And that's why many people think Solomon struggled so much with so many wives because he was so young when he came into all his power. We don't know. Maybe one day we'll get to ask him. But we see as we look at at what's going on in the process, what I see is Jehoiada, a priest, a godly man, who is teaching Joash to have faith in him. And when Jehoiada's gone, where is he going to put his faith? Our children's faith can't be a result of us. Our children's faith has to be their own. they got to know God. they got to have their own relationship. God doesn't have grandkids. He's only got kids. So, listen, Scripture tells us in verse 4, Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of God. So we know that the house of God was, was in disrepair. Joash, that's the king, the young king, he's probably a little older now. He says, hey, I want to I do a remodel. I want to fix it up, the things that have been falling down. So he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. Now, that's the king talking, right? And it says, however... The Levites did not do it quickly. So that tells me the Levites didn't put a lot of stock in the young king. They're, they just did what they wanted to do. They didn't respond. So the king called Jehoiada the chief priest. Now that's his surrogate dad. And said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection? According to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord and of the assembly of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, the wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baal. So they had robbed the house of God of its gold and the instruments that they used in worship and moved it over to Baal. It had been in there when they tore that place down. So then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. So now they're, they put a chest. It's like a... Just like the boxes we have out here for folks who want to drop tithes or offerings or gifts to uh, um, Malawi. Uh, how did I forget the name? I can't. English is a second language. Uh, actually, that's African name. Huh? So maybe that's not so bad. But we have a box out there from Malawi. We've got a box out there for folks who want to drop their offering. Same thing. Here's the temple. they got a chest. If people want to donate to be a part of... Uh, refurbishing the house of God, all they had to do was drop money in the chest. And when the chest was full, they'd pull the money out and they'd begin the repairs. So, that's what they did. It says, and all the leaders and all the people rejoiced and brought their contributions and put them into the chest until all had given. So, everybody got behind what was going on and they gave. So it was at that time, when the chest was brought to the king's uh, official by the hand of the Levites, And when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of God. And also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. Now when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. And they made from it articles for the house of the Lord. Articles for the serving and the offering spoons the vessels of gold and silver. They offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually. All the days of Jehoiada. So, as Jehoiada's there, you heard what it said. They offered offerings all the days of Jehoiada. Not all the days of Joash. So as long as the high priest was there, and they have his godly influence, people are following the Lord. 
But their relationship with God is through the man. Not a straight line. We still see that stuff today. You have people whose whole relationship with God are based on a pastor or a leader or a teacher. And we see all the time, should that man fall, that person fall, and we see the repercussions that it works within the body because many people's relationship with God runs through that man. And when he falls, they fall. It's important that our relationship with God is to Him. The whole point of the relationship that God said, you, you, individually, you, not through me, can enter into the Holy of Holies. You can reach your hand up to Almighty God and call Him Abba. Abba, that's Daddy. You can go before the Father and make your request known. Because of what the Son has done. Our relationship is through the Son to the Father. That's how it works. No Son, no relationship. Can't be. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How many men come to the Father apart from me? How many? None. None. Nobody gets to the Father without passing through in faith the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, being made righteous, being made clean, being made holy, and entering into a relationship in that way. Everybody has to have their own. You see, the whole nation is following Jehoiada. The whole nation is, is walking with God because of Jehoiada. The whole nation is following that example. So they're gonna do, they're just going through the, the rituals, man. They're making all the different things and they're gonna, they're gonna participate in the sacrifices as long as Jehoiada is alive. As long as everything goes the way they want. As long as the seats aren't too uncomfortable or the carpet stays the color they like. You wanna, you wanna watch me tick off everybody in the church? Watch me move these chairs. Were you guys here when I moved the chairs? I moved the chairs and put an aisle down the middle so when we did a wedding, I didn't have to move the chairs for every wedding we did. Holy cow, you'd have thought I was shooting people's children. I can't find my chair no more. This is just dumb. Why is it like this? Man, it's your chair. Who cares? What if I put them upside down? When we take them out, you sit on the floor. What's the difference? You're here to worship God or you're here because there's a nice cushy seat? It's got your name on it. Or this is where I stick my gum every week. And so with the same deal with Jehoiada, man, people were, 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 it was about weird things. Wasn't really about God. Shouldn't matter. I paint all these walls pink. Shouldn't change a thing. Should not make a, a, a lick of difference. I was involved in a church when I was a kid. The church split because the pastor painted the piano. The piano looked amazing. It was a wood grain, uh, a baby grand. It was a beautiful piano. He painted it white. Because everything in the church was white, and so it made it pop. It looked great. He was uh, a guy who tuned pianos and worked on pianos. I don't know what they call those people, but that's what he was. So he knew what he was doing, piano tuner. So he knew what he was doing with piano. It looked great. Half a church left. Because somebody painted a piano. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Who cares what the piano's painted? We're either here to worship God or to establish our own agenda. Which is it going to be? It's God's house where we come to worship. It's where we come to study. It's where we come to learn. It's where we come to prepare our hearts. It's where we come to have our hearts prepared. None of that other stuff should matter. Shouldn't make any difference. Well, they got all their instruments put together and they are all marking time with Jehoiada as long as Jehoiada is alive. Look at verse 15. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and his house. So they they buried him with the kings. The last two kings they didn't bury with the kings. The last two kings, they just threw in any old hole because they weren't all that great a king. 
Jehoiada, who's not even a king, he's a priest. But they buried him with the kings. Because he did a lot to try to help his country and his people. But once he was gone, all the godly influence for the nation went with him. And immediately all those guys who had, they had to be on guard for, who didn't want the change, they all start popping up. Look what it says. Now after the death of Jehoiada, verse 17, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. So what we have here is the other leaders. The guys who had given lip service to Jehoiada. Hey, we're with you, brother, we're with you. And all the stuff changes, but, you know, really in their hearts, they wanted to get back to that idolatry. So they come to the king and they say, oh, we know Jehoiada's gone, and so you don't have any wise counselor anymore. We want to offer ourselves to you. And Jehoiada, because he wasn't really ever sure, I don't think, how to make a decision apart from, or, or Joash, who didn't know how to make a decision apart from Jehoiada, he's like, oh... Okay. So they all became his counselors. Look, verse 18. Therefore they left the house of the Lord, God of their fathers, and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. One man dies and it all went back. Not because Joash was a bad guy. But because Joash never really developed his own relationship with God. So when bogus guys came to help him, he just listened to them. And then the scripture says, wrath of God came upon them. The wrath of God came upon them. It's just like what we were talking about on Sunday when we were going through Romans. The wrath of God is orge. Orge. It's a predisposed disposition to judgment. It means they're already condemned. The wrath of God means now you are back like everybody else. You're not walking in repentance. You're not walking in a place. Are any of us perfect? Are we going to be sinless ever? Not on this here. Not here. (laughs) One day. One day the Bible says when we see Jesus, we'll be like him. The Bible says now we see through a glass darkly. Now we struggle and we strain and God gives us a spirit to help us be able to overcome and gain the victory moment by moment, day by day, battle by battle. But one day we'll see Him and there will be no more sin. We'll be glorified. We'll be made just like Him. Now, just like Him. We're not going to be gods. Just like Him without sin. Just like Him without a sin nature. Just like Him glorified. So, that'll be a wonderful day. Until now, we're going to struggle. If we choose to just live our life in rebellion to God, the Bible says that you're living in the wrath of God. Remember I told you about sowing and reaping? So what do you want to sow? The wrath of God? Or you want to sow the love of God? You get to pick. It's your seed. Dip your hand into the seed bag. Throw whatever you want. But if you're throwing seed to the wrath of God, what do you reap? You reap what you sow. They started worshiping all these false idols, right? They turned their back on the worship of God. He had just rebuilt the temple. They stopped. They probably robbed the temple to to build those other places again. They start going and doing all those things. And they're getting into it. and, And it says they were in the wrath of God. They're just sowing those seeds. Sowing seeds that God hates. God always, when people do that, sends His prophets. Verse 19. Yet He sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them. They would not listen. Isn't that what Jesus said? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who stones the prophets that I send her. How many times I have wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing God sent His prophets. And every time God sent His prophets, people didn't listen. The greatest prophet of all, greatest prophet of all, the Bible tells His name was John the Baptist, right? Jesus said, among men born of women, that covers all of us, right? There is one. John the Baptist is the greatest. 
greatest prophet of all the prophets. Yet, any of the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Any of those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacrifice that he wrought on the cross are even greater than John the Baptist. What did they do to John the Baptist, the greatest of all prophets? They took his head. How come? They didn't like what he had to say. The same thing happened with preachers today. But hey, you can preach a happy, clappy, great message. Life is good. Just keep doing whatever you want and fill a church. You start preaching what the Word of God actually says. You start telling people, you know what? You can't live together. That's what they took John's head for. He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod didn't like that much. Off with his head. Still, the Bible tells us that the days will come when people will heap up for themselves, teach teachers to itch their scratching ears, scratch their itching ears, to, to tell them the things they want to hear. But they won't tell them biblical doctrine. What does the Bible say? Bible says a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> People don't like the stuff this says. They throw it out. Get rid of it. Stop that stuff. Well, let's see what happens. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He also has forsaken you. So they conspired against Him, and at the command of the king, they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. What did that just say? At the command of who? Whose kid was this? This is Jehoiada's son. Who was Jehoiada? Joash's surrogate dad, the dad who had raised him since he was a baby, who had hid him in the house of the Lord when the queen wanted to kill him, who had trained him up and taught him. And now, in, in, in a fantastic feat of paying back someone who has given you so much, he killed Jehoiada's son because he didn't like the message. And they stoned him in the house of God. They came into the temple with rocks and they stoned him. In the courtyard of the temple. You know how important it is to remember where you come from? You remember where you come from? You sure? Because a lot of times in church people get where they forget that. They forget where they come from. In, uh, in Korea, I don't know if you guys know this, but... We're apart in Vietnam. We do a thing with the kids in Sunday school where they raise money and every, I think it's every 200 or $150 that the kids raise, they send it to Vietnam and they give sight to, to the blind. Because the kids, because of their diet, are born with cataracts and they can't see. It's correctable. With surgery, they can correct the cataracts and, and give sight to the children who are blind. But, so, so the kids in Sunday school are part of that. But I was reminded that in Korea, they had the same thing going on there, especially after the Korean War. And there happened to be uh, uh, people, you know, when they have kids and they're suffering from that and they're blind and they're a handful. You know, you know, in, in Korea or Vietnam's the same way. You don't just drop your kids off at daycare. They don't have that. They don't have preschool or they don't have anything else to drop your kids off at. So, and if your son's blind and you can't just send him to school, that's a hassle. So they'll take their kids and just dump them on the street. Turn them loose. Hope you make it. Well, there's a fella who had been in the war in Korea and had been burned really bad. Face all scarred so nobody would give him a job. So this guy was living on the streets. And he's living on the streets and one day walking down the street he sees this group of, of kids, street kids. And they all look like they're they're beating up on somebody and he... Comes over and hollers at them all and they look at him because he's burned. You guys seen burned people before, right? So the kids are a little bit afraid, so they all take off running. And in the middle is this little four-year-old blind kid that somebody just dropped. Can't see. Got cataracts. So this guy, he 
takes him and he raises him. Now all the while, this guy who was burned, he's, he's collecting cans and, and junk in the street to try to raise enough money to try to get some more skin grafts. Maybe they can put his face together so that maybe he can get a job. But nobody will hire him because he's so ugly. So he took this kid. Now fortunately, that kid loved this old man because he didn't know what he looked like. He's blind. So the old man raised that kid. When that kid's 16 years old, he was with that old man 12 years. The old man finally had enough money to go down and, and have a, another skin graft surgery. But when he went to go talk to the doctor, he asked the doctor if he'd look at this kid's eyes. So the doctor looked at his eyes and says, yeah, we can correct it. We can correct it to, you know, 200, 250 bucks each eye. So if he gave that 500 bucks, he couldn't have his surgery. He'd have to go back out and, and collect cans and junk until he got it. So the kid's 16 years old, and the old man tells him, Look, I got a chance to, to give you a new life, so I'm going to do it, but you're not ever going to see me again. He didn't want the kid to see the way he looked. So he, he brought the kid to the doctor, and he paid the doctor. And the doctor did the surgery, and that boy came out seeing, and the whole world opened up to him. Get a job wherever he wanted. Ended up working as a a maitre d' at a big old fancy restaurant. And one day, that fellow's working as a maitre d' at the big old fancy restaurant, and there's a ruckus out back, and he hears about it, and they say, oh, there's some dude digging through the trash cans out there. He's always going through the trash cans. and, And so... The maitre d' goes out there to straighten it out. Can't have somebody digging through the trash cans in the back of the restaurant, you know, upsetting the people. So he goes back there and he shouts at the old man, Hey, what are you doing? But the old man didn't say a word. He recognized the little boy he raised for 12 years and paid for to have his sight return. And he just looked at him. And that just made the Mater D a little more angry. Don't you understand what I'm saying to you, old man? What's going on? You can't be digging through the trash, man. You got to get out of here. Still, the old man just stared at him. But he loved that boy. So the Mater D walked up to the old man, put both hands in his chest, and shoved him on the ground. Kicked him a couple of times and said, Get out of here. And the old man got up and left. See, the problem in that story is the boy forgot where he came from. He lived on a street. Somebody I never saw took care of me. Somebody I never saw, he, 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 he fixed me, gave me sight. And in return, he lost touch. You know how many people come to Jesus and get straight? How many people come to Jesus and get set free from their sin? How many people come to him and then and then turn around and look at the person still in the place they were once and despise them? Well, I can't stand how that guy smells. How come that guy's always drunk? Oh, that guy really needs to clean up his act. Really? That's what Jesus does. He cleans it up. He expects us not to forget where we came from. To remember what it is that we're here to do. He expected Joash to remember where he came from. But instead, Joash killed the son of the man who raised him. Now, Zechariah is probably a lot older than Joash. Joash was little. And at this time, maybe Joash is in his 30s. Zechariah is probably 60. You know, he's much older. But he still knew him. They're still raised in the home together. He was still protected by those guys.
watched over by him, kept safe by him. And Zechariah's only crime is that he went to the king and he said, Look, you are in the place where you're not walking with God anymore. You've forsaken him. So his hand, the blessing, is not with you right now. You forsook him. A few times in my life, I woke up someplace and I think, how did I get here? Well, God didn't put me there. I did. And I know where God is. To the church at Ephesus, the report card Jesus gives them in Revelation chapter 2, he says, Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and return and do the things you were doing in the beginning. That's what God tells any of us to get off a track. Remember from where you have fallen. Oh, yeah, this is not where I want to be. Repent. God, forgive me. How hard is it to get forgiveness? Okay, God forgive you twice for the same thing? Three times? Remember, Peter came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, How many times should I forgive my brother for the same thing? Seven times? And Jesus said, "Ah, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That's 490. For those who want to keep tally on their brother's sins. But the 490, there's a point to the 490. Do you know that? You know, there's no numbers that are just there randomly. 490 years. 490 years. 70 times 7. Every 7 years, the nation of Israel was supposed to give the land one year rest. Don't work the land for a year. God said, on the 6th year, I'll give you double. The 7th year, don't work. Anybody like that program? Or we wouldn't want a year off every Every seven years. We, we wouldn't want the seventh year off. You know the Bible says, the Sabbath's not for God. Who's the Sabbath made for? Man. God told man, take time off. Anyhow, the nation of Israel never, ever, ever gave the land a rest. They stayed in the land 490 years. Then God sent them into captivity in Babylon. And they were in Babylon for 70 years. Why? One year for each one of the Sabbath years they didn't keep. So when Jesus says 70 times 7, he's pointing to a very specific incident where God forgave Israel for 490 years. Years for the exact same sin. So if any of you lives to be 491 years, you can stop forgiving your brother. Anybody here going to make that? Good luck, John. You're halfway there now. So the point is, God forgives. God forgives every time we come to Him, no matter how many times we come to Him. The Bible says God doesn't get tired of us coming to Him. He just says, come. He just says, come. Come. And the same thing was offered to Joash. At any moment, Joash could have went to God and been restored. But he's discovered there's too much fun. He's having too much fun. So Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiah which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, Lord, you look on it and repay. Remember what I told you? Whatsoever a man sows, law sowing and reaping. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him and and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men. Judah had a bigger army. 
The Syrians had a small army. They came against Judah. But look, who wins the battle? Do you really think the battle goes to the guy with the strongest? The guy who's got the best, most, most bullets? You need to spend some more time in history. It doesn't always go to the guy with the most bullets or the most technology. Well, since we have forgotten history so much, you remember back in the 80s, who was at war with Afghanistan? Russia. So they were like number two in the world, if we consider ourselves number one. Or if they were number one, we were number two, right? We had this battle going on with Russia back in the 80s, you guys remember? Did Russia win? Oh, so, so just to prove that we don't learn anything from history, who's at war with Afghanistan now? We are. We winning? No, you cannot win the war in Afghanistan. Russia proved it with technology. Because the Afghanis go underground in the caves. You can bomb the snot out of the mountains all day long. And at night they come out. If you want to win it, you got to put the army there and walk across the country and in every hole and do it. Is that what we're doing? No, what we do is we send our young men there to do, um, what do they call them things? Convoys. And to let the Afghanis take pot shots or IEDs and blow up our kids. Because we don't learn. We don't learn from history. Same old drill. I wonder who will go to Afghanistan 20 years from now. Thinking we'll straighten them out. <laughs> Not the way we're doing it, you ain't. The Syrians came with a little army. The Bible tells us the battle is the Lord's. Whether with few or many, God delivers. How many 16-year-old kids did it take to beat Goliath? One. Remember his name? David. David killed Goliath, 16 years old. Never held a sword a day in his life. He used a slingshot. Every kid's toy of choice when they're young. Every boy's anyway. Maybe not every girl's. One kid's with a slingshot. Jonathan, David's uh, one of David's best friends, he took on the whole Philistine army, just him and his armor bearer. Two people. 10,000. 10,000 people, two people took them on. And put them to rout. Why? Because the battle's the Lord's. It had nothing to do with how good you are with a sword. It wasn't because Jonathan was like a ninja or, or like commando. Arnold Schwarzenegger running through and 50,000 people are shooting at him, but nobody can hit him. You guys seen those movies, haven't you? One guy runs through. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. One guy running through. So much lead going down range that, 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 that it's a heap at the end, but nothing hits him. If that really happens, that's because the battle is the Lord's. Not because the Terminator is running through and you can't really get him. <laughs> that's good, Noe. So what we, what we see is the Syrians with a little army, they beat Judah. Because God's not with them. They left God. Look what it says in verse 25. So when they had withdrawn from him... Oh, let's back up. 24. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, so they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest. And they killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. So what happened to Joash? A little baby they saved? He started pretty good. He didn't finish well. Didn't make it into the tomb where Jehoiada was. Didn't make it into the tomb of the kings. Because he never did have a relationship with God. He just spoke the right words, did some of the right things. That's it. 
These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shemaeth, Ammonite, uh, the Ammonites, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabites. So there are women who killed him. Now concerning his sons, and the many oracles about him, and the repairing of the house of God, indeed they are written in the annals of the book of the kings, then Amaziah his son reigned in his place. We'll look at Amaziah next time. But, those people who killed him, what did they do? They sow any seeds? What, what do you reap? You reap what you sow. You get why our world is so sideways? There's a lot of seed sowing going on, ain't there? A lot of reaping happening. And what do you think Amaziah, the son of Joash, is going to do to the people who killed his dad? Sooner or later, man. What do they say? There's a guy that said, uh, there's a guy that said, eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. But that's not exactly true. Do you know that eye for an eye is actually mercy? What do you mean? Well, I mean, usually what we see in injustice is, uh, you poke my eye out, I'm going to crush your skull. Or you kill one of us, we'll kill ten of you. You know what I mean? And it escalates back and forth. You guys heard of the Halffields and McCoys, right? So... I mean, this is the kind of thing that goes on. The Bible said eye for an eye. That doesn't mean go poke each other's eyes out. That means punishment and the crime match. Don't go overboard. Don't go overboard. God told us before we ever planted a seed. Now you're, you're responsible for what you know. Reap what you sow. I run around gossiping about people. What am I going to sow? What, what am I going to reap? Running around spreading lies or causing dissension between brethren. What am I going to reap? Don't change. We want something else in our life. I want my life to have more love and more friends and more good things in my life. Then what should I sow? Man, it's amazing how that works, huh? That's how that works. That's what we want to do. We want to... Make a decision. Not like Jehoiada that says, oh, I'm just going to fake it till I make it, and if I don't make it, who cares? We want to make a decision. It says, I'm all in. Get it? That's it. I'm committed. Everything I got, everything in me, everything I can put together, everything I can lay on a table, everything I can do, I'm going to put it all in to this one purpose. To live my life with a man after God's own heart, delighting in the Lord, Delighting in the things that He has for me. Enjoying Him. Sowing seeds everywhere I go. And reaping the stuff God promises. You know what He says? Delight in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. That's how we reap what we sow. It's up to us, right? It's up to us. Live a life with abandon for Jesus Christ.